Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you uh, here this morning. Everyone likes good news. Like two weeks from today, we get to go back to three services. That's great news. That means there'll be more seats. That means I get to preach three times. This is, this is great news. Good news. Ruthie's back from Kenya. Welcome back. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Everybody likes good news. Good news, it's a boy. Good news, it's a girl. Good news, she said her first word today. No. Good news, he took his first steps today. I told you he'd do it by kindergarten. Good news, she got a report card today, all A's. Good news, he passed. Good news, he had a home run today. Good news, she was accepted to college. Good news, he got the job today, which means he'll be moving out tomorrow. Good news, your mom called and it's benign. Good news, your dad made it through surgery. We all like good news. We have entered the last three chapters of the, uh, of the Gospel of Mark. It's called the Gospel, uh, literally good news, because it contains the good news, the final days of the life of Jesus, culminating in his death by crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. It's the Gospel. It's good news. So I suggested last week, everything up to this point has been somewhat preparatory, pointing to these last three chapters, those supernatural miracles, the authoritative teaching, all fulfillment of prophecies, by the way, all proving Jesus to be the Messiah. Now the Messiah, according to divine plan and timetable, would, would become the Savior, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. In fact, much of chapter 14 that we're in is also preparatory, pre preparing Jesus for the cross. We saw that preparation of evil men as the chief priests and scribes plotted to seize and kill Jesus. We saw the evil preparation take a surprising turn as one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas Iscariot, uh, came to these evil men and agreed to betray him, Matthew tells us, for 30 pieces of silver. See, the shadow of the cross is, is growing. We're moving closer to the good news. In the midst of that secret plotting and betrayal, Mark inserted a story of unbridled worship as Mary came in extravagant display of devotion and, and worship, anointing him with costly perfume from an alabaster vial. Jesus said this was also preparatory, preparing his body for burial. Uh, up to this point, the preparation, while divinely orchestrated, has, has been performed by, uh, by other people. Now Jesus himself will further the preparations. We read about it in our text today, Mark chapter 14, verses 12 and following, um, say this. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want to go and prepare for you to eat uh, the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he himself will show you a large upper room furnished and ready, prepare for, uh, for us there. The disciples went and came to the city and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the 12, and they were, as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. 
And they began to be grieved and say to him, one by one, surely not I. And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man is to go just as, his, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. While they were eating, he took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. And, and, when, he had given, and when he had taken a cup and, and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It's all been preparatory, actually stretching back thousands of years, but before the law of, was given to Moses, before the sacrifices, before the priests, before the tabernacle, 1,500 years before Mark, the, the people of God um, were, were given the Passover, and even the Passover was preparatory. You see, it pointed to Jesus, which caused Paul to later write, for Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. You remember the Passover. It's found in Exodus chapter 12. The Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Moses was sent to deliver them, to, to lead them to the land of promise. Let my people go, all of that. Of course, Pharaoh refused just as God planned, giving him an opportunity to display his power and glory over the paltry nation of Egypt and their pagan gods. That display, we remember, came in the form of 10 plagues. It was during that 10th plague, the, the death of the firstborn, that God instituted the, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the night that the, 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 the death angel was to go through the land, the, the Israelites were to sacrifice a lamb, placing the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and on the lintel or the, or the header of the house. When, when the angel saw the blood, he would pass over the house, leaving the firstborn within alive. From that time forward, they were to celebrate um, these events annually to, to commemorate and celebrate their deliverance from Egypt. The Passover celebration went something like this. On the 10th day of the first month, the month of Nisan, they were to select a one-year-old lamb without spot or blemish. They were to keep it until the 14th day and then sacrifice it at twilight. That evening, that is the 15th of the month, they were to roast the lamb and enjoy the Passover meal together, complete with lamb and unleavened bread and wine and bitter herbs and kind of a fruit and nut mixture, a chutney, if you will. And, and then for the next seven days, they would celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were, you see, to remove all of the leaven from their houses for that seven days, reminding them of the haste with which they had left Egypt and also symbolic of leaving behind the evil influences of Egypt in their deliverance. Well, as you would expect, by this time, all kinds of traditions had arisen around those two celebrations, those two events. First, they would select the lamb on the 10th of the month. But then they would take it to the priests for their approval. As we saw a few months ago, they seldom received approval and were forced to buy the very expensive lambs provided by the temple. It was a real money-making deal for the Sadducees who controlled the temple. It's why Jesus, one reason he turned over the tables in the temple. Well, they would keep that particular approved lamb until the 14th, and then two men would take it to the priest to be sacrificed. Remember, it had to be sacrificed at twilight, which by this time came to be understood to be between 3 and, and 5 
in the afternoon that will become important later. Josephus records uh, at, at this time, around this time, there were 250,000 Passover lambs to be sacrificed. Now, he was prone to exaggeration, but the point is there were, there were, lots, of, there were lots of people and lots of lambs, and frankly, there, were lots of, there was lots of, of blood. In fact, it is said that the blood would flow out the back of the temple, down the Kidron Valley, to the brook below, and literally turn it red. The two men would take the lamb back to where they were to celebrate the Passover, usually with their families. It required one lamb for every 10 people. Uh, By this time, the law said it had to be celebrated within the city limits of Jerusalem, which explains why Jesus and the 12 celebrated in an upper room in Jerusalem as opposed to just doing it back in Bethany. The the, the typical Passover meal went something like this. First, the head of the household would offer thanksgiving for the feast and, and, and for the wine, Uh, praying over the first of four cups to be enjoyed during the meal. Those four cups of wine um, corresponded to to four important promises that God made to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 6 as He prepared to deliver them. Here's the four promises. I am the Lord. I, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Number two, I will deliver you from bondage. I, number three, I will redeem you with an outstretched hand with great judgments like plagues. And, and, and then number four, then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. After the first cup came the ceremonial washing of hands, which signified uh, the need for moral and spiritual cleansing as we get ready to go into this meal. And it, it suggested it was at this point in the evening that the disciples argued <laughs> again about which one of them was greatest, prompting Jesus to stand up, wrap a towel around himself, and wash his disciples' feet. Next came a bitter course of, uh, I mean, a course of bitter herbs and, and greens dipped in that fruit mixture made of apples and dates and pomegranates, nuts, and, and vinegar. The bitter herbs, you see, were to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. The brown mixture reminded them of the mortar that they used to make bricks. After this came the Haggadah, in which a boy, usually the youngest um, boy present, would ask about what they were doing. This was all prearranged. He would ask. In fact, the question he was supposed to ask was this, why is this night different from other nights? Why indeed? The story of the Exodus would then be told by the patriarch. Jesus no doubt fulfilled that role. Next came the singing of the first part of the Hallel. That's interesting. Hallel means praise from which we get our word hallelujah. The the Hallel Psalms were Psalm 113 to 118. At this point of the meal, they would sing the first uh, two Psalms. This would be followed by the second cup of wine, which would then be followed by the main course of roasted lamb and unleavened bread. Whatever of the lamb was left, remember, it needed to be burned up before morning. Next would come the third cup of wine called the cup of blessing. Remember that, the cup of blessing, followed by another prayer of thanksgiving. All of that is critically important. The participants would then sing the rest of the Hallel, probably Psalm 116 to 118, followed by the the fourth cup corresponding to the fourth promise. Remember that. It was all a festive occasion. It's to remind them of God's great act of salvation in delivering them from Egypt. All of that, by the way, is background so that we understand what we just read. The outline of our text goes something like this. We're going to see the preparation for this 
well, it's going to be the last Passover. And then we're going to say the, this prediction of, uh, of betrayal. And then the presentation of the very first Lord's Supper. Kind of interesting on this first Sunday of August. It's almost like we did that on purpose. Mark says it was the first day of unleavened bread. Now, now that can be a bit confusing till we remember that the, the word Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread by this time came to be used interchangeably to refer to one eight-day event. You see, they kind of put it all together. On the 14th came the, the sacrifice of the lambs, and that went through the 21st. This eight-day event could be called the Passover or it could be called the Feast. We know it was Thursday, or we think that it was Thursday, the 14th of Nisan, and it was time to sacrifice the Passover lamb and eat the Passover meal that evening on the 15th. Now, I say we think because you should know that there's a bit of an issue between the synoptic gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then John. And this is a big issue. In fact, people have argued about this and tried to solve this problem for centuries. In fact, you should know that this is identified by many people as the worst contradiction in the Bible. You see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke indicate that Thursday was the 14th of Nisan, that is the Passover lambs were sacrificed on Thursday afternoon, and that Passover was observed that evening. I say that because the next day then was Good Friday. Notice, Mark says, on the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Matthew and Luke basically say the same thing. So it seems, it seems fairly clear that Thursday evening was the Passover, right? Well, till we get to John's account. It is now after the supper. In fact, it's the next morning when Jesus is taken by the chief priests to Pilate. It's Good Friday the day of his crucifixion, and we read these words in John 18. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. What? I thought you ate the Passover last night. Did further, John 19, now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. Pilate said, behold your king. And so this is a problem. Which is it? Was the Passover on Thursday evening or was it on Friday? Some suggest that this is an irreconcilable, these are irreconcilable differences that we have got a huge problem in the Bible, and that either Matthew, Mark, and Luke were wrong or John was wrong. Others suggest that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are right and John can be made to fit them. Still others suggest that John is right and Matthew, Mark, and Luke can be made to fit them. Some suggest that Jesus celebrated the Passover a day early with his disciples, but the actual Passover was on Friday. Finally, there was a large group of people who suggested that there were two Passovers. That is, a Galilean, uh, the Galilean Jews and the Judean Jews were on two different calendars. I uh, will try to explain all of that, but they suggest the northern Galilean Jews, to include Jesus and his disciples, celebrated the Passover on the 15th of Nisan. Uh, of Nisan, uh, which was Thursday, while the Judean Jews celebrated the Passover on the 15th of Nisan, which was Friday. Are you with me? It does make some sense to me that Northerners and Southerners could not agree, but I am not personally convinced. So, so, so which is it? I don't know. But I think there's likely an easy explanation. Then when we get to, when we get to heaven, we can ask Jesus about it. He's going to say, it's this, and we're going to go, <laughs> That's kind of obvious, thanks. <laughs> In the end, it really doesn't matter. I want you to be aware of a seeming problem, which I don't believe is a problem at all. 
At any rate, Jesus tells two of his disciples to go into the city. Remember, teeming with at least hundreds of thousands of people and find a certain man. Jesus says, follow this man to his master's house, tell the owner, the teacher says, where is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So what does that mean? What's going on here? First, how are they going to find this certain man among teeming hundreds of thousands? Well, Mark tells us he'd be carrying a pitcher of water. Well, that narrows it down. Well, it actually does. You see, that would have been unusual. Sorry, ladies, but that was considered women's work. So a man carrying a pitcher of water just didn't happen. So as they find this guy, uh, they, 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 they go to the house. They find that everything is ready. There is furnished a large upper room for Jesus and disciples, which means all the, the rugs and the tables and the furniture uh, is there for the 12 and probably, actually probably others. Remember, he did have a band of disciples that was falling to include women. They were likely there. Sorry, Da Vinci, you probably didn't get it right. Regardless... Um, Jesus had apparently made these arrangements sometime before. But now, here's a question. Why this secrecy? In fact, Luke tells us he only sent Peter and John, those were the two men, and then led the other disciples to the secret place that, that evening. Why? Why the secrecy? Because he must share this Passover with his disciples because he had something very important for them, and he didn't want Judas to betray him early. What what that tells us, once again, is that Jesus is in control here, not the forces of evil. All that brings us to our second point, the prediction of this betrayal. They're gathered in the upper room, reclining around a table. Again, contrary to da Vinci's famous Last Supper, they were probably not sitting, but reclining. Should be in the next slide there. There we go. uh, There's uh, da Vinci's uh, famous Last Supper. They're probably not sitting but reclining on triclinia, which were Roman couches close to the ground. This picture is probably a little bit more accurate. The food was set out before them, each each food item in a common or shared bowl. That's important. They they were probably... uh, um, uh, at, uh, and, and this is a guess, they were probably at this point at the main meal when they were eating the lamb and unleavened bread. And at this point, Jesus drops a bombshell. Truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. It was a bombshell to at least 11 of them because they had no idea what he was talking about. They could not imagine betraying the Lord with whom they had walked for three years. So they begin asking this question meant to evoke a negative response. That's the way it's, it's written. Surely not I, then you can't be me. Jesus responded, yes, it is one of the 12 who, who dips with me in the bowl. Well, they had all dipped their hands with him at some point during the meal in the common bowl. It was his way of saying, it's going to be a friend who has shared a meal with me, making the deed that much worse. And this is, John tells us, this is a reference to, uh, to Psalm 41, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, he has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus says the betrayal is coming. Notice, as it is written, all according to divine plan, reminding us once again who's in charge. Jesus is going to suffer according to divine plan, but just because it's unfolding according to divine plan did not make the betrayer any less culpable for his actions. 
In other words, Judas was guilty. Woe to him. It would have been better for him not to have been born. It's a clear statement of divine sovereignty, working with human free will. Judas acted according to God's divine plan, but he acted within his own fallen freedom. Well, and it made him responsible. It made him culpable. Now, it, it shocked the 11 because they could not imagine betraying Jesus, but I suggest that it also shocked Judas because he couldn't imagine how Jesus knew. He'd gone in secret to the chief priest. How does he know? And, 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 and I don't think anyone else suspected him. No one said, it's got to be Judas. Look how sinister he looks. He, he was, after all, a trusted treasurer and friend. So in Matthew, Judas, like the others, perhaps not wanting to appear suspicious, says, surely it's not I, Rabbi, to which Jesus responded, you have said it yourself, meaning it is you. John indicates that Jesus at this point told him to go do what he was going to do quickly, and Judas left immediately, which I think is important. While Judas was present when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, I personally, you may disagree with me on this, that's okay, but I personally don't think that he was there for the Lord's Supper. That brings us to our final point, the presentation of this first Lord's Supper. Now listen to me. The danger that we face is monthly familiarity. But this is a most significant, magnificent event. I think you'll see why. While they were eating, after bickering about which one of them was greatest, after he had wrapped a towel around himself and washed their feet, after this prediction of the betrayal, after Judas left, I think, Probably just after the main course, Jesus says some more rather shocking things. It was probably at the time of the third cup. You'll see why in a moment. Jesus took some bread. He gave a blessing, perhaps like this common blessing that was said back then. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Blessed art thou, O Lord. That's kind of interesting. God is the one blessed, not the food. Think about it when you say grace. (laughs) Bless this what? Food. No, 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 no. Bless the one who gave it. Then he broke the bread, which would have been large, flat, crisp loaves of unleavened bread. He gave it to the disciples. The wording indicates that he gave it to each one of them personally. Then he said these crazy words, take it, this is my body. Now, now, now stop right there. The disciples from the time they were wee little tykes, there was at one point that they asked the question, what is going on here? Why is this night different from any other night? From the time they were wee little tykes, they had observed the Passover. This was not in the script. Jesus, you just departed. What are you saying? This would have shocked them. This is my Body? What does that mean? Luke adds some additional detail, which Paul later quotes. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That statement, this is my body, well, that's been the source of no small amount of debate through the centuries. It's divided entire groups of Christians, the Catholic, the Reformed, Lutheran, and Baptist churches. I'm not going to get into all of that this morning other than to say this. It was obviously bread. I mean, Jesus was still sitting before them. He took bread, broke it, and gave it to them. I don't think 
that it mysteriously transformed into his body, he's still there. He gave it to them saying, this is my body. The obvious meaning is this represents my body. And then he gives us the purpose for the meal in Luke, as does Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, quoting Luke. Do this, why? Like the Passover, do this in remembrance, to remember the great salvation that God has provided for you through the sacrifice of the Lamb, who was his own son. So also he took the cup, I believe the third cup called the cup of blessing. In those four promises, the third cup was called the cup of blessing. Some discussion as to whether or not those cups were common cups or whether each had their individual cups, don't know. But at this point, there was obviously a common cup shared by all. Uh, Jesus was expressing their unity. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, listen to this very carefully, is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ. It's not the bread which we break a sharing in the, bo- uh, in the body of Christ. Jesus takes, I think, the third cup, which corresponded to the third promise. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great judgments. I will redeem you with great judgment against your sin on my own body. He gave thanks probably with these words, blessed art thou, not blessed the one. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. The word for thanks, interestingly, is the word eucharisteo, from which we get our word eucharist. Some traditions refer to the Lord's Supper as the eucharist comes from that word. He took the third cup of blessing and shocked them even more. Now, now, Now listen, I know we do this every month. You must see the disciples exchanging shocked glances as he said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, and Matthew adds, for the forgiveness of sins. This would have shocked them. This is on, on the script. It's more than that. First, you have to remember how repulsive blood was to the Jewish mind. They were strictly forbidden from ingesting blood. Try and find an Orthodox Jew today to eat a steak rare. You won't find him. I put myself through school working in a restaurant. Man, and we would have Jews come through and they would order their steaks, not medium well. No, 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 well done. And if there was any pink, they'd send it back. Well done. Blood was offensive to them. And now here Jesus says, this, is, this cup is my blood. Drink it. I mean, what is this? Reminiscent of John chapter 6, where Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, what? You have no life in yourselves? Eat his flesh, drink his blood? When he said that, many of his so-called disciples turned away, followed him no longer, John says, because these were very difficult words. Here he says it again. What What does it mean to drink his blood? Most of us know, unless you are willing to receive and partake of the sacrifice of Christ for you, there will be no forgiveness of sin. Understand this. Jesus was instituting a 
a new memorial, yes, but he was doing much more than that. Don't miss this. He was doing away with the old covenant and bringing in the new covenant because the old covenant never did, never could, never would justify anyone because of the weakness of our flesh. A new covenant was needed by which our sins would be eradicated, forgiven forever. This is incredible. This is the good news. The old covenant was inaugurated, you see, in Exodus chapter 24 with the shedding of blood. Listen to these words. Then he, that is Moses, took the blood, uh, took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Liars. They, 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 they weren't obedient because they couldn't be obedient, not because the law was bad. It was good. It was because they were bad. They were weak in their sinful flesh, just like you and me. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Do those words sound familiar? They're supposed to. They were some of the most important words to every Jew. The disciples knew them. They understood. Maybe not, maybe not till later, but they knew that Jesus was instituting a new covenant, a, a new covenant with blood, just like Moses introduced the old covenant. So now Jesus is bringing the new one, and we remember Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which, by the way, they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and, I, I, and on their heart I will write it, and I will, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Does that sound familiar? This is the fourth promise. You understand what Jesus was saying? You understand what Jesus was doing? The Lord's Supper, you see, is a reminder of a whole lot more than, 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 than a broken body and shed blood. Well, it includes that. It tells us that by his sacrifice, Jesus brought us the new covenant that he sealed with his very own blood. Acts chapter 20 says that God loves the church having purchased it with his own blood. Strongest statement of deity in the scripture. Why was blood necessary? Because Hebrews 9 and 10 says it this way. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come. He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. This is in heaven. That is to say, not of this creation, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Therefore, even the first covenant, that old one, was not inaugurated without blood. For, for when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats, which... Remember, that's what they had with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. We could do communion that way. Let's just have you come by and sprinkle grape juice on you. Saying this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. Chapter 10, for the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifice as blood of bull and goats 
same sacrifice which they continually offer year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to offer because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would have no longer had consciousness of sin. If the blood of bulls and goats and calves and all that, if that would have worked, they wouldn't have to do it anymore. But by doing it every year, it reminded them. This is why, my brothers and sisters, this is why when we observe communion, it does not transform into the body and blood of Christ because we are not sacrificing Christ anymore because when he did it, he did it once for all and has sat down at the right hand of God the Father. If those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. Every time they, they did it, year after year, it just reminded them, I'm a sinner. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You can't do it. All it did was roll the sins forward year after year until they were finally rolled on Christ. And therefore, a new covenant was needed. One that Jesus inaugurated by his death. That is good news. And we remember it with this memorial, first Sunday of every month. And how dare we approach it with flippancy and familiarity? It is a Christian Passover, if you will, by which when we have eaten his flesh and drunk his blood, meaning that we have received his sacrifice by faith and have been born again, having our sins forgiven, we partake together, remembering the inauguration of the new covenant. We don't remember a deliverance from Egypt any longer. That was the last Passover. But we remember forever, through many Passovers, our deliverance from sin. And when, when Paul quoted Luke, he said, as often as you do this, and there is evidence in the New Testament and in, in early church history, in fact, throughout church history, that the church has regularly come together to remember deliverance and to remember the cost of that deliverance. We're not re-sacrificing Christ, we're remembering. And we're gonna do that right now. I'm gonna ask the men who are gonna distribute the elements to go ahead and make their way um, to the front. This is the first Lord's Supper. First Lord's Supper. Last Passover becomes the first Lord's Supper. The old covenant is, has, is done away with because it could never justify us. There was need for a new covenant to come. And Jesus, by his blood, brought it. If you're here today and you know uh, Christ as your Savior, see, that's why I, I think Judas wasn't there. If you know Christ as your Savior, we invite you to participate with us. If you know, if you've re received the sacrifice of Christ by faith, sins forgiven, we invite you. The way we, we do this here is we pass out the, the little pieces of cracker, unleavened bread, actually, broken, and you'll hold it and we'll eat it together as a symbol of our unity. And then, Similarly, after, they'll take little cups of 
of, of juice. We could do the common cup. Frankly, just for health purposes, we do individual cups. That's it. That's the only reason. And you take the little, but it comes from one bottle. <laughs> and and, and, and we, will, we will drink together as a symbol of our unity. And we invite you to participate. I'll tell you when we eat and when we drink. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, um, you have a couple of choices. Um, number one, you can decide to receive by faith what Jesus has done for you. You can say, I've heard enough. I know who Jesus is and I know what he's done. And you can ask him right now where you sit to forgive you of your sins, to receive by faith his death, his burial, and resurrection. Do that right now and you can participate with us. But if you choose not to, that's okay. We're not going to ask you to leave. <laughs> but we're going to ask you just to pass it. This is for Christians. We're glad that you're here and we invite you to continue to consider the claims of Christ. And we urge you to believe. Father, thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for what his death meant. A historical event, to be sure. The apex of all history, to be sure. But, but, but an event that has ongoing effect to the present day. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has brought us redemption in his blood. And for that, we are thankful and we remember in Jesus' name.